Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com slash weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This week, we're talking about what we've been playing. We're going to pretend to be another gaming podcast today, and, uh, you know, we're in the middle of... Well, not in the middle. We're actually at the beginning of sort of fall release season bonanza. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot out. And Rob, what have you been into lately? Well, none of that. Um, so, <laughs> Good. you know, as you might recall, like last week I was in Boston. Yes. And... Now I'm back in LA, uh, so I'm I'm dealing with that you know the usual degree to which you've screwed yourself after taking a work from home week, uh, you know, and have not been in the office for a while. So it usually takes uh. a little bit of time to, uh, to to catch back up. And so like most of my quality gaming was was actually sort of back in Boston. I've only managed to do a very little bit here. So like in terms of things like I'm eagerly anticipating, um, you know, hey, I'm gonna have a reason to be talking about Destiny again. Uh, which yes. is one of those weird situations. Like I sort of just fell out of the destiny habit and I'm actually kind of, uh, I'm excited to sort of see this new expansion, uh, rise of iron, but at the same time, like it's such a, it's such a different thing when, when you, when a game goes from being part of like the fabric of your daily routine to being something that you need to pick up again. And yeah, I'm kind of, I'm sure. kind of wondering if it's going to be the same. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of want it to be. I, I'm, you know, I, I miss having the weird um, time sync rituals that that made Destiny so special. <laughs> uh, sort of waking up, you know, going to the PS4 and just grinding your daily quests and missions, <laughs> just grinding them every day, getting those tokens. Uh, you know, trying to get those drops, not getting those drops, grinding some more. Uh, those were those were good times, and yeah. I'm wondering if they can come back or if the destiny moment has has kind of passed. So tell me a little bit about this expansion, because I'm I'm I've never been a destiny person. I definitely I, like I feel like maybe I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but I've played it like three times and and I don't remember any of it whatsoever. And it was definitely pre. You know, it was pre when Destiny got good. I feel like there was that that sort of shift at one point where it was like, well, it's kind of a crappy FPS. And then, you know, we all have to write about it. So we're all playing it. And then it was sort of like, oh, it got good. And then everybody was playing it. And I just sort of was like, well, I played it three times and I don't remember any of it. So I have been like such an agnostic for, for Destiny. And I know there's a big update coming up, but what is what is the the deal with it? Is it just like a new oh, I don't really know. giant expansion? No, I mean oh, okay. no, That's no. Funny. Actually, like <laughs> so this is the weird thing, right? Like Destiny is it's sort of the quintessential project product of the era of content. Um, you know, like, sure. I feel like yeah. ten years ago we talked about things being things, and now we just talk about like content. Uh, it's it's. A very weird sort of yeah. uh, linguistic colonization that's happened uh, as as everyone yes. has started using the language of uh, the people who want to sell you things. Uh, and Destiny's <laughs> kind of this yeah. exquisite creation uh, that that sort of serve that is both a product of and a driver of uh, that that mindset. 
so Destiny Rise of Iron focuses on, um, you know, so it focuses on a new character, a character who's been in the background of, of Destiny for a long time. So every time you go back to the tower, there's, there's all these like badass named characters who, who give you quests. And, yeah. uh, each, each, with each go round, you sort of learn a little bit more, uh, about some of these, some of these other characters. So, uh, you know, where, where Taken King was, was really the chance for, um, Oh God! Uh, suicide, suicide girl, uh, fetish uh, object, um, <laughs> weeping mascara. I just, I can't. It's not. I don't know, man. Well, yeah. Destiny Cassandra, whatever. Um, Destiny Cassandra. I love yeah. So it. It, was, it was sort of all about her uh, and a little bit about Nathan Fillion being Nathan Fillion. Uh, you know, this one is about Lord Saladin. Um, but that, that, as far as like what that, what that's going to mean, uh, you know, the story that's going to be told, I don't really know. And it's kind of beside the point. Like, I'm excited to like get more stuff to do and, and more quests. But, and this is the weird thing. All Bungie really has to do with me and Destiny is be like, hey, we made more Destiny. I hope you like it. <laughs> And I'll be like, yeah, a little more destiny sounds pretty good. Because really, like, you know, I, th- I think the, the thing about destiny is that it's really exquisitely well put together. Like, it is one of the best feeling shooters I've ever played. It is one of the most beautiful uh, shooters I've ever played. Uh, there's some people who hate the aesthetic. I am not one of those people. Uh, I think the armor aesthetic is, is definitely a little silly. But I think a lot of the... Um, you know the sky boxes and uh you know a lot of the the raids raid locations are 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 pretty stunning uh but the thing that killed destiny and i think it's it's always going to be destiny's big problem is that there's only so much to go around and the entire game is built around the these sort of daily check-ins with the game and between updates those check-ins get increasingly stale because you just do the same quests again and again and again and again uh, so, like, what's what's Rise of Iron? Uh, it's it's more stuff uh, <laughs> that you're going to get to do day after day after day. Uh, what what I'm really curious about is whether they're going to kind of do what they did with the Taken King, which is like with with the Taken King. Every time you checked in for your daily challenges, it was all Taken King stuff. Uh, all the year one content kind of got rotated um to to limbo basically it just it, it just wasn't part yeah. of the daily conversation which which means all that stuff kind of fell out of rotation and the taken king stuff kind of got done into the freaking ground so i'm kind of wondering like with rise of iron at some point is you know is bungie going to feel like there's enough there that they can start like expanding what the da- what the daily rotation is drawing from uh, you know, because the difference between, you know, having like 20 missions that you could be playing each each day you check in and like 60 is a pretty huge change. <laughs> that's a pretty huge difference. Uh, so I'm, that's kind of the thing I'm hoping for. But but really, you know, what what Rise of Iron is adding is, you know, a little more story. Not that Destiny's ever been particularly brilliant in the way it tells story. Uh, some probably cool new settings, uh, new missions, and uh, this should be more exciting for me than it is uh, a new raid. But the 
the central feature of my life right now is that I just do not have a rating group or the kind of lifestyle that supports a. I can't live the rating lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, you know where I'm at right now. Yeah. So. You know, new raid and all that. I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy that. I am probably going to get to do that like once. Yeah, I am. I am so interested in Destiny as a concept, even though I'm not really interested in playing the game. Like it just seems to me like the ultimate gourmet macaroni and cheese. That is like, such a good way of putting it. Gaming comfort food that is like expertly, cra- you know, with like a. F- a fine blend of of good artisanal cheeses and you know like the perfect pasta and that kind of thing it just seems like that's fascinating to me because i i usually like that sort of thing like i you know i i like destiny is totally the mac and cheese (laughs) at uh green street in central square it is totally yes 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 yes. and it's it's the mac and cheese (laughs) on a cold day uh yeah. yeah no that is absolutely what destiny is um and I think it sort of got beaten up a little bit because it it absolutely isn't trying to be more than that. Um, right, right. It's just trying to be, you know, genre as all hell, but really well yeah. done. Yeah. But it, but it has no, it, I, it has one no day. appeal to you. <laughs> it, it doesn't just, and I think it's because my entire experience with it was when it wasn't the best game. And I just, you know, sort of played around in it a little while every, you know, a couple of times. Like I said, I, I honestly don't remember it. Like, I, I remember a vague sense of being on some sort of flying motorcycle thing and a vague sense of sort of running around shooting stuff in a desert. And that's literally, literally it. That's that, that, all by I the remember. way, could describe basically <laughs> all shooters for the last, like, decade, by the way. Vague sense I was riding around on some kind of motorcycle and I was shooting people in yeah. a desert. Yep, sounds like a video game. <laughs> but I remember, I mean, even like, okay, I played uh, like Call of Duty, the, the one with Kevin Spacey. Ke- Call of Duty Kevin Spacey, okay. that one. Um, like, I played that one, and it, that wasn't the most memorable thing, but I do remember it. <laughs> like, I remember the environments. I remember sort of the progression. I remember the story. I remember the general flow of it, you know. I I feel like I remember a lot of crappy games that I've played, too, but I just for whatever reason, just had, like, a, a fugue about Destiny. It was just like, oh, this shit. And I don't well, know why. Destiny I really don't know why. And I know it's not fair, because I know the game got good and interesting, <laughs> like, after I played it. So it was, yeah, just this bizarre thing. Yeah, it uh, it, it did get good, although it it retained also sort of its, its essence. Like, uh, you know, I, I think if it sure. didn't really appeal to you much on the first go around, I don't think there's a lot there that's, uh, th- that's going to change your mind. Uh, and honestly, like it's hard for me to sort of like, it'll be interesting to see, do I get back into destiny now when I'm not going to be recovering from ankle surgery for three months? Sure. You know what I mean? Cause like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a big deal, uh, where yes. you're laid up and you've got to just, kill time like time is your enemy like if you're thinking about a thing you're going to start to like feel pain or get like you're gonna lose your mind so destiny was absolutely like you know dr destiny did a very good job uh managing my recovery uh now the question is whether there's a place for it uh in in my life right now uh but anyway so that's probably what i'm gonna be hopefully talking about next week uh hopefully i can get i can log some time in on it 
in you know in this upcoming week. But first, I've got to get through uh, sort of my sort of my stack, which which means finishing the order, um, which oh I'm still enjoying, okay. uh, but yeah. I'm starting to see what some of the issues are, uh, which is that. You know, when you've got a cover shooter and you've seen a million variations on this, those little imperfections are really great. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of uh, margin for error when you're making a game that other people have made really well, uh, like a million times before. Uh, I, I still am enjoying it, but I but I, I am still in it more for the world building uh, and some of the characters than I am in it for the game itself. Uh, it is, it is a very silly game and some of the ways <laughs> that it works and some of the encounters that are set up, uh, are really, really paint by numbers and frustrating and, and, and just kind of dull. Uh, so there's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's such a, such a gratingly missed opportunity. Uh, cause I think it's a, a hell of an idea that it's yeah. just, it's sort of being let down a little bit. Yeah, that's that's still really unfortunate. Even though it did prompt that amazing angry kill screen piece about like what's wrong with game reviewers? This is the best game ever. That was that was entertaining. Oh, I don't I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, there was a like a really angry piece that was about, you know, just expressing a lot of anger towards other game reviewers and like that you know, this is a creative and awesome game, and I believe it's the same person who said that Yarny should burn in hell. Um, yeah, well, just uh, just an entertaining bit of. I mean, Kill Screen throws <laughs> the writing. throws the odd uh, the the odd knuckleball, um, and yeah, yeah, yeah they, they sure they do, absolutely they do. Sure do. Um, I mean, I get <laughs> like I, I feel like the game maybe was excessively dismissed, but at the same time, like. I don't know. It's 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 a weird it, it's a weird thing. Like I, I think there's a lot of things that uh, are interesting and merit comment in uh, in the order, but I also feel like it is a game that the review process and the way we assess games is almost certainly not going to be kind to uh, because it's yeah. going to be checked against these like well how well did it do you know how well did it deliver. On its uh, its pretty clear design ambitions of being a cover shooter in the vein of like Uncharted or Gears or something, and the answer is not that well. Um, you know, it's 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 a yeah. it's a flawed copy. But right there, you know, if those games are sort of the the elite of 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 a genre, then sort of by definition, then you sort of have sort of have to start docking uh, a game unless it makes it up in some other ways. And you know, this really doesn't. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's been. Um, it's been it's it's been a week of really sort of shallow uh, AAA gaming in 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 some ways, and then uh, sort of reflecting on a lot of board gaming I did I, I did back in Boston. But but what have you been up to? Oh man, that's actually really funny. You've had these shallow uh, AAA experiences, and I had almost exclusively like incredibly deep and you know unexpectedly deep sort of indie experiences. Um, so I actually got some really bad news this week about my wrist. Um, I learned that I have like a weird deformity in my wrist and boxing is going to be out for a little while. And if you listen to the podcast, you know that I love boxing. It's kind of a thing I really enjoy. So I've been, I was really bummed. And uh, 
I I sort of dove into these these couple of games as as sort of like oh these games are about space and they're indie and they're narrative and story based and they're cute and quirky and I'm sure I'm gonna enjoy that I I thought I was getting comfort food so I'll talk about Event Zero and Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor which are the two games I'm referring to um, Event Zero just knocked me on my ass a little bit uh, it looks like. Uh, a sort of a game you've played before. So, like, stop me if you've heard this one before. It's a game about a rogue AI on a space station, and you crash into the space station, something goes wrong what? on your spaceship, or whatever. Yeah, and then you go to another space station on your escape pod, and there's a rogue AI that's like, man, something something went wrong here. There's no other people there. No, there's no there's other no like, one humans like, like to animate. It's Whoa. derelict, and there's an explosion, and something happened. Like, you know, I I went into this thinking like, yeah, I know what I'm getting here. You know, like I'm gonna get a cool, fun rogue AI story. And to some extent, that th- that is sort of the bones of the experience. But it's actually so much deeper and so much more interesting. And the writing is so good, and it goes to places you don't expect. And it's really not a rogue AI story. It's it's actually something entirely different, which I won't, you know, spoil or anything, but it's it's very pleasantly no, surprising on. in the way it sort of plays Danielle, with Danielle, I'm going to have yes. to pick up the spoiler flag here and say who really, like, at this point, you, we've described a pile of cliches and nothing that's, like, remotely unique or interesting about this game. So I think like if we're going to convince anyone to play this, like if I'm going to like navigate over to, is this an itch.io game? Uh, it's, okay, on so it's on Steam. It might be on itch.io so, too. Like, so if I'm yeah. going to navigate over there and start doing this, like you got to give, you got to give me a little taste. You got to, you got to, all right, let me tell you, you. bait the hook. Let me tell you what's cool about this game. You're not told the story. There's not like a showdown who's like, Oh no, something happened here. You go to these terminals on the space station and you have full conversations with this AI called Kaitsen. I think Kaitsen is the name of the AI. Like it's it's basically a super 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 advanced kind of chatbot kind of thing. And you have these it has like a full personality. You have these complete conversations with them, you know, using your keyboard. You say like, "Hey, what's Wait, up? So How you like doing?" and it'll talk and it's to you. It's actually like text parser stuff. Yes, Ooh. exactly. And it's really smart and like sassy, but not in a sarcastic, shitty way. Just sort of like, haha, you know, like it has a real personality and it's really fun to talk to. And it will sort of guide you on your way if you're just sort of like, well, you know, what do I do next? It's like, oh, yeah, maybe you should check out X, Y, or Z. But it's doing it in this sort of like kind of knowing and winking way, in, in a cute way, in a uh, nice quick, way. Quick question. Um, How does it get around the problem yes. of like a lot of text parser systems wear out their welcome because I think by our nature, like we like to explore what the limits of that system is, but then it turns into a lot of boring dead ends. I don't know anything about that. Uh, How, like how does this address that? Like how does it keep the, the, the flow? Well, I mean, it's certainly a limitation of it. You can definitely fuck with it enough to be like, it's the game and it's trying to make me go to X, Y, or Z, but you can just have like, 10 minute long conversations about life or or ask it what the meaning of the universe is and it'll just be like well blah 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 like it actually goes on and on like it's not like a terse robot it's like a 
person who is quirky and interesting and you want to talk to them, uh, which I thought was great. And this is this is definitely like a three hour game or you know probably a two hour game for most normal people. I like to look at everything and see everything. Uh, so it's not like a massive giant, giant scope of a game. But I had so much fun talking to this charming AI that I just wanted to keep kind of talking to it. Like I sort of sensed when I was at the end, you know, there's definitely a story and there's, you know, multiple endings. You can kind of convince the AI certain things or, or talk about, you know, other certain things with them. Uh, and, and there's one just glorious grand sci-fi ending that I was so on board with. So awesome. Like 2001 style, like, oh, holy shit. We changed the universe sort of thing without, you know, going into specifics. Um, and, you know, I'm always down for that. Uh, but it's, God, it's just so fun to talk to this AI and, like, explore this station and be like, hey, so, you know, what happened with the toilet? And the AI is just like, well, you know, something something <laughs> bad. But, but it's in, in yeah. like, a, a funny way, you know, right. like, it's, it's, it, it's like a fun quirky person to talk to and that's the best part of it so, and the fact that it exceeds expectations in sort of every way also was sort of like oh i know i know what you did there i see what you did there the the name of the developers is uh ocelot society and and i think they were like a french student team that that sort of went on to to make the game for real you know it's like a student project that they they believed in and all that kind of stuff so they went on to actually make this this you know commercial release uh, I, I was just so impressed with it. I was just so delighted that it, it actually went to some different places and had this just awesome interface and AI and this sort of delightful character that you can interface with. Uh, ton tonally, like, the derelict spaceship is always a place where bad things happen and there's an air of menace. Uh, but it sounds like you got to read a charming dinner companion uh, in in this game. Yes. Uh, is there like is there any sort of tonal overlap between this and like you know the million other games that use the same setting, or is it really working a completely different space entirely? I mean, it's it's working a very interesting space. Uh, it is set in an alt history, so it's set in 2012, but it, in an alt history sort of universe where in the 80s. Uh, they sent up tons of spaceships, and there's a whole society. There's a class of people who are called Selenites, who are like the the advanced people, you know, the the rich, the high class, uh, and they rode around in space yachts from the '80s. Uh, so there's all this sort of wonderful '80s texture to it, a little bit of of Alien Isolation style, you know, the sort of VHS technology, the sort of chunky analog technology, and there are like you know albums from the '80s everywhere. There's like records from the '80s everywhere, and they're luxury space yacht, you know, with the with the sauna and the the pretty you know bathtub and stuff like that, and you'll see like a a record, uh, you know, '80s era record sort of next to it, and it's like, oh, that's cute. I see what you're doing there. That's fun. You know, all these magazines from the late 80s, uh, things like that, and, and sort of fun textures and things like that. So it's it's evoking things you've definitely seen before, for sure. But it's doing so in, in like a slightly different way. And that that sort of sets you up to, I think, appreciate the 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 not wackiness, but the appropriate and pleasant quirkiness of your interactions with the with the A.I., Okay, now okay, now I'm in. Now, now I need to check this out. Yeah. So that was event zero. Yeah, that's event zero. Uh, really, really pleasantly surprised. I mean, again, I did go in thinking, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this will be a fun couple of hours on a derelict spaceship that I've done a thousand times before. So, yeah, very pleasantly surprised. 
also pleasantly surprised with this other game called Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor. And this is something I've been following a little bit. I played a tiny bit of the, the sort of beta for it. And that is a very deliberately, like you you will look at this and you'll be like, it's an itch.io. You know, it's it, pastel pixel art, but 3D world uh, with a lot of um, 2D textures that, that sort of do the billboard effect kind of thing. Uh, you are a little janitor in a spaceport, like Star Wars, cartoony Star Wars style spaceport, where there's all sorts of little aliens and there's a lot of trading and all sorts of stuff like that. There are dungeons you can go into. There's all kinds of things. Primary mechanics are picking up trash, incinerating it, and trading with people and talking to people and just sort of having conversations with all these weird aliens. So I was playing this game, uh, again, expecting comfort food, expecting, well, Danielle comfort food anyway. <laughs> Maybe not everybody thinks of it that way, but, you know, for me, like, oh, quirk, quirky, cute, itchio indie in space. Sounds good. Uh, and I was playing it. I was streaming it the other night. And, you know, I was enjoying myself. I was like, this is cute. This is fun. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. There is a gender shift mechanic in the game. And when I first sort of encountered this, it was like a change your gender. I almost thought it was like a Saints Row thing. Like, oh, that's cute. You know, that's a nice little nod. That's, you know, that's cool. And then at one point playing the game, like half an hour, 40 minutes in, I got a little, you know, notification. You need to eat. You need to, you know, do certain things. If you're sick, you need to get medicine. You have like little status effects. Um, and it said, you have to shift your gender. Like you feel itchy, your skin feels itchy and you don't feel good and you need to shift your gender. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the game continued to get more and more fucked up looking like all these weird glitches started happening. The world started getting, I hadn't shifted. I, I didn't have the money to shift. I went to the booth and it was like, oh, you're out of money. You can't shift. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, this game just got very, very real very, very quickly about sort of like gender dysphoria. And, um, you know, when I stream, I have I have folks from sort of, you know, all over the gender spectrum. We have a lot of trans folks like in the chat. And I was just like, uh, hey, folks, didn't expect this. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, content warning kind of thing. Like they in the game, I think they do it in, in a in a respectful and thoughtful manner. Like they're actually making a point about dysphoria, I think. It certainly seems that way to me, uh, but I, I I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting like, oh, just cute little thing that I'm going to play on my stream right now. Um, and yeah, I like my character was really ill and and I, I really needed to make money and go shift my gender. And then I became like, a, it, it's not like male and female. It's, you know, some wacky, like, I don't even remember what it was. It was some sort of made up term, but like, you got to shift. It's just really important. You got to just do that sometimes and the world will like fuck with you until you do it. And it was like, wow, that was cool, I think, and interesting and thoughtful, and I wasn't expecting it. And and the game has all these little kind of hidden gut punches. Like, it, it definitely does that a little bit with regards to, like, you know, classism. You're, you're like this little lonely, lowly, rather, janitor, and you have to, you know, burn trash, and people look down on you, and they, they insult you for being a janitor and things like that. And it's kind of like, huh. You know, I thought I was going to play this little space cartoon thing, and here it is actually having things to say. And I don't mean that in a diminutive way. Like, it just it just looks like a cute, sweet, little, playful thing. And it's like, actually, there, there's something here. Um, and so I was I was kind of overjoyed by both of those things. I, I both enjoyed just sort of playing around in this little world, this colorful, little goofy world, and also just sort of the 
hey, somebody gives a shit about things in life who made this game and they're and they're going for it and they're and they're kind of not pulling any punches with it. And that that made me happy. That was charming. I'm curious to what me. the trans folks in your audience made of the way it presented that sensation, uh, though. Uh, was that yeah. was that sort of viewed like did people identify with that or was that viewed as uh, yeah. okay? That's something I was curious about. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, not to I won't name names or anything. Obviously, in my chat, but like, yeah, sort of. There's literally a little text message like. You know, I went up to the booth and I was like, well, I got to shift gender. And, you know, it was like, you don't have enough money to gender shift. And somebody, you know, a, a person that I, I know to be to be trans, like, said in the chat, like, oh, I hear that. You know, there's there sort of like folks were like joking about it a little bit. This was before it was like the world was going completely topsy-turvy and it was still sort of presenting as like a, oh, you know, maybe this is just like a weird little mechanic. Um, and then folks were all like, whoa, this is getting real and and I sort of like stopped the chat for a second. I was just sort of like, uh, do you you know like uh, I really hope this isn't like uh, bothering anyone. You know, like I, I hope this isn't. I didn't know to put like a trigger warning or a content warning or anything like on it because the game doesn't look like it would be. <laughs> and it would certainly be. <laughs> you know, less it doesn't present itself it necessarily. Warning, I think, right? Because like, yeah, that's that's the really interesting it sound, part. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like what makes it work is that. The game has set you up to be surprised by a set of complications that the game's presentation and theme don't remotely suggest. And I think that's kind of... Man, this actually touches on two letters uh, we've got this week. So that... I know. Like, I'm kind of dying. <laughs> it's like, funny I'm, in that I'm way. I kind of just want to jump forward uh, and just splice... I think we can, honestly. This conversation yeah. In there. Yeah. Uh, but... It, it's a, it's really interesting the, the way that like it, it sort of set a trap for you. Uh, and a little bit, and sort of snuck up on you with that because I think if I mean, it totally changes, right? If it presents itself as, hey, this is the game about you know trans identity told through a space a spaceship, uh, sim right. uh, a starport janitorial simulator. <laughs> uh, I think that's a pretty yeah. huge turnoff, right? Like that, that's like uh, what what the hell's that? That sounds that sounds like a fucking mess. Uh, but, but here it, it, it's sort of, it, it's sort of brilliant the way it presents itself. And it's just part of the world. It's just part of this world. And I, I was really impressed the way they just sort of made it like a biological imperative, like eating or drinking or being sick or anything else. Like, it's just as important. And just that implicit message was really cool to like, you know, and again, of course, I'm saying this like I'm a cisgender person. Like, I am not in any possible way an authority on like, you know, trans narratives or anything like that. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, and I've, I've actually been chatting a little bit with the folks who made the game because I was so interested in, in, you know, how this came about and how they approached it and what they wanted to, to say with it. So, like, stay tuned. I'm sure I'll have a little bit more to say about it uh, next week. But, yeah, just thus far, I was I really appreciated sort of uh, the approach and the way that they – they seem to make it like a, a fucking point, and and I liked that, and and it feels very much like we had a point to make. We're sticking with our guns, and here it is. It's just part of this world. It's part of the world we made. It's just cool. Uh, so, sort of on that note, we have a letter that is very relevant to this. Uh, but first, we are going to take a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to right into our mailbag. Danielle. You know what I'm feeling right now. Uh, what would that be, Rob? A soft, reinforced footbed of high-quality cotton beneath my weary feet. Is it getting hot in there? It might be, Danielle. 
It might be summer outside, but my feet have pulled up a comfy ottoman next to a roaring autumn fire and a sleeping puppy of whatever your favorite breed of dog might be. I want to go there. Then buckle up, Danielle, and point your browser to getbombas.com slash weekend and get your 20% off your first order. You know, Rob, it's not just the fact that Bombas can apparently send your feet on an all-expense-paid cruise to reassurance and comfort that is capturing my imagination. It's the fact that every time you buy a pair of socks from Bombas, they actually donate a pair of socks to a homeless shelter. It's a win-win over at getbombas.com weekend, especially with that 20% off your first order. Then come on over, Danielle. There's plenty of room on this ottoman for two pairs of feet. I've got a cup of chamomile honey tea and a good book waiting just for you. Only thing you've got to do is go to getbombas.com slash weekend. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of perfect. I didn't plan it this way. We just happened to have a lot of letters uh, sort of that touched on these sorts of subjects. And uh, let's just go right into our first one, which might even be the most incredibly relevant uh, to that to that last point we were talking about before the break. Uh, this is a letter from Zoe. Zoe writes, Dear R&D, this week I watched the most recent episode of Feminist Frequency on body diversity in video games. The episode argues that while games might feature an incredibly, uh, they might feature incredible diversity of bodies amongst playable men, women are almost entirely young, thin, and conform to conventional Western standards of beauty. I agree 100% with Anita Sarkeesian's observation. It also left me wondering about the difference between representations of diverse bodies and diverse experiences of being in a body. Like, what do video games have to say about what it means to move around the world in a body? In 2014, I ran, uh, excuse me, I read Anne Leckie's phenomenal book, Ancillary Justice, which focuses on a soldier who we soon learn, mild spoiler, was once an aspect of a starship AI that existed across a network of ship equipment and controlled human bodies. But it now exists separate and alone in a single body. I think ancillary justice hit me so hard uh, because Breck's pain couldn't be reduced to just being in the, quote, wrong body. It was about not understanding how to access to the fullness of yourself. That pain felt real. Like lots of trans folks, I never identified with the stuck in a wrong body, quote, narrative of transition, but I absolutely knew the ache of feeling adrift within myself. I am now happily expressing and living my gender in everyday life, and I find that I relish experiences of embodiment in games that are delightful and complex. While I enjoy Zarya's queer-coded aesthetic in Overwatch, I actually really identify strongly with D.Va, crashing across a level in a giant mech suit, combined with waving sweetly at teammates and leaping around. But I'd like to experience more of this playfulness and possibility in video game embodiment. Have you ever had an unexpected moment or revelation of being in a virtual body? Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. I'll, I'll just take that last part again. <clears throat> Have you ever had an unexpected moment or revelation of being in a virtual body or another fictional mode of embodiment? Warmly, Zoe. Well, first, Zoe, thank you uh, for writing, and I'm glad that uh, things are going well with your everyday life. And I do get that about sort of uh, Zarya and Diva, even though I probably, uh, I guess I, I identify more with like Tracer and Zarya. If there was some sort of in-between between those two, it would be, that would be me. Um, 
I embodiment in games is definitely something uh, I'm very, very interested in. And I attended a talk at GDC last year about made of meat was the name of the talk. And it was about uh, uh, the person who made catacomb kids or is working on catacomb kids who who's sort of doing research on like what how to make you feel more like you're in a body in games, how to how to make yourself feel like a human. And and he sort of examined like three aspects of humanity. And it was like, you know, we're fragile, but we heal, you know, and how do I how do I make that a mechanic in a game? How do I actually sort of make that make sense to you as a human being who has a body and who's playing with this, you know, computer simulation of a body, basically, we're fragile and, and we and we heal, we you know, we have an aspect of meatiness. There's a heaviness to sort of being in a body as opposed to a lightness of just sort of being weightless and adrift. And um, I, I can put a link in sort of the show notes to uh, to that talk, which I found fascinating and interesting and is always going to be something I engage with on a really, really deep level because personally, I'm a, obviously we're all physical people, but like for somebody who works online, for somebody who spends their entire life sort of online, their professional life online, I'm sort of uh, obsessed with the physical. Like I, I prefer to be, you know, I, I like being an athlete. I like being an EMT. I'm interested in bodies from, you know, sort of that perspective. I'm interested in, in, in why we bleed and how we get hurt and how to heal those kinds of hurts. And, uh, it's it's always something I want more games to tackle in a more uh, in a more present way, in a more sort of thoughtful way, in a more engaging way, uh, instead of just sort of being like you're an avatar. Uh, instead, it's like here's an avatar, yes, but here's an avatar that has aspects of being in a physical body that has aspects of 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 that heaviness and and of those elements of like we're we're fragile but we heal, you know, we we persevere, we're tough, we're made of meat, you know, that's that sort of idea. So. For me, that that resonates on a on a really really deep level. I think it gets tricky uh, when when you say you want playfulness because I think a lot of the games that do a better <laughs> job communicating some physicality tend to not be the most playful. Uh, you know, I think Overwatch is that's true. Interesting because Over Overwatch is is very playful and also has this wonderful sense of physicality that like the Bruiser characters have a sort of weightiness to them, uh, and the Skirmishers have this sort of like light agility uh, that, that's really addictive, and it's all done in this in this really sort of lighthearted, playful way. Uh, I think a lot of other games that communicate physicality well aren't necessarily trying to do so in with that same tone. Uh, and so, like, I think, you know, you, you sort of run up against, I, I think, sort of the way that a lot of games sort of focus on combat and violence uh, and such, or, or simulation. Like, reading this letter, I thought, well, I think one type of game that actually makes different bodies different uh different the the sensation of being someone else with a different set of physical traits i i think sports games actually tend to do that really well a yeah. lot of times like, yeah. yeah you can absolutely feel the difference between like uh you know a pro bowl wide receiver in madden uh and the way that character can like move and jump and like you know, you know, make cuts to the right or left around other characters. Uh, that absolutely comes through in a way that, like, when you're controlling a powerfully built, like, linebacker or something like that, that is a different experience. And you can feel, like, changes in the way a character, like, accelerates and the way it sort of shrugs off, uh, you know, hits or, or, or takes them. Uh, but 
I also wouldn't call uh, like EA Sports games the most playful uh, in the world. There's a like they're yeah. they're too. Um, their glasses are pushed way too high up on the bridge of their nose. Uh, I would say, you know what I mean? Like they're they're <laughs> sure they're yeah. they're. they're they're, they're, they're really games for sports nerds with like an art with like an arcade stick element sort of bolted onto them. It's it's weird. I think originally like all, you know sports games and football games were all about like you know just controlling controlling these characters and, and feeling their power and ability. Uh, and increasingly, I think you know that's secondary to the real point, which is um, you know building the better team, uh, playing efficiently, all the, all that kind of. Uh, all the all the kind of modern sports analytics type stuff. So I, I think you know that's a good place to look for it, but I don't think it scratches that that same itch. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, believe it or not. Oh, no, no, sorry. no, I was about to kick it over to you because I'm, I'm I'm sort of racking my brain oh. here. Believe it or not, For Honor, the the sort of upcoming Sword Dad game, uh, it's not entirely playful. Certainly, it's it's a pretty like you know it's a it's a you're a serious sword man or sword woman for sure. Uh, but you're a samurai, a Viking or a knight. <laughs> and you're kind of in this world that combines samurai Vikings and knights. And it's a little goofy and a little bit fantasy. And I feel like it is actually a little bit playful. Now it's not like it's not overwatch playful. It is not, you know, neon colors and, and incredibly cartoonish characters playful, but there is a playfulness about it. Uh, and you do feel I, I still think you feel better embodied as a fighter in that game than any other game that I've played because of its sort of aspects of, you know, this is the game about sword fighting, but you actually have to be very, very, uh, very cognizant of where your feet are and sort of what your footwork is and how you're using it and how you're fainting and how you're using lateral movement. So it, it feels it feels closer to this than anything else I can think of right now. Uh, not 100%. If they made like a sort of more... More uh, lighter, I guess, for honor, right? lighter in tone, not lighter mechanically. That might be really scratching that itch for sure. I think fighting games uh, tend to have a good they can sense be, yeah. Of, yeah. of who your character is and how they move, uh, that, that kind of thing. Um, and I actually, I feel like, and, in, in, you know, correct me if I'm completely in left field here, but I, I do feel like uh, fighting games resonate somewhat with, with you know, an audience that, that has a lot of gender diversity. Like, I, I, most of my queer friends that I know that, that play a lot of games are, are super into fighting games and kind of into that aspect. And I actually think that's really rad and, and, and really cool. Uh, I just like, uh, I just like For Honor because it's, you know, 3D combat makes more sense to my brain, but it's still I can see that parallel. I can see that sort of working. Right. Um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting question. I, I, I kind of wish there there were a little bit more that uh, a little more out there that that communicated some of that. Uh, like you know, it, it'd be fun to be to play a game that's all about like Kool Aid Manning your way through like you know through <laughs> obstacles. Like that'd be a blast. Yeah. Um, Maybe VR can actually, you know, with with enough sort of intelligent, thoughtful folks working in VR and maybe making things that are potentially even a little more personal, I could see this, that actually working well for sort of feeling embodied in another character. Our next email comes from Sinosleep, and Sinosleep writes, When Renegade Shepard was brought up during Idle Weekend a few episodes ago, it took me back to my own Mass Effect playthrough and my thoughts on Paragon or good guy decisions in general. I've always found them to be incredibly naive. 
Yeah, letting the thief who has robbed who knows how many people and killed plenty of them while doing it, letting that person go because they've got a sappy backstory is the right thing to do. Even though we've got no way of knowing, they aren't going to turn around and do the same thing again the instant we leave. The good guy options in RPGs are littered with stuff like that, which is why I found Renegade Shep to be such a breath of fresh air throughout the series. Playing Renegade allowed you to come to the Paragon conclusion without letting people that need, needed to bite it get away with their... Uh, get away with their BS. <laughs> sure, going full Renegade could often be just as silly as the Paragon options were, but the Paragon solution arrived at, arrived at in the Renegade way was a magnificent middle ground, and I wish more games gave you that option. Renegade Shep is my hero. Uh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> tread that middle ground in Mass Effect. Like, I was, I, I think, I think each game t- decided that I was a little more uh, Renegade than, than Paragon. Uh, but but mm. I often did feel like I was able to arrive at just and fair outcomes uh, without having to be a complete schmuck. And I, I do... I, I think Science Sleep points out something really important here, which is that like uh, a lot of RPGs boil goodness down to the act of like showing mercy and understanding to someone. But yeah. in doing so, it also puts you in this position of if you believe what the game is sort of telling you and that you're making the correct decision, then all it takes to make someone turn good is a good <laughs> talking to or a good encounter with, with a fair and wise person. And they will get their shit together. You know, like just just a good just just a good fatherly or motherly talk from from Shepard. Like an episode of like space, leave it to Beaver, and it's 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 all going to be good, uh, and and that's and that is incredibly silly uh, because obviously like you know change is really really hard, and the truth is that like if you were ever put in a situation where like you know you were having to pass judgment on someone who's got a long track record of being a piece of garbage, um, but has some sad context around that. You know, and you're sort of supposed to either let them off the hook completely or put them down. Um, letting them off the hook completely is probably not going to change much of anything. Um, it's, it's, change requires a lot of time and effort and a lot of context to change. And in RPGs, context, the context doesn't change at all. Your character just comes along and says, yeah, but, have you considered not being an assassin? <laughs> yeah. It's really, I mean, this stuff is always so goofy. And it's so goofy on both ends because it's just sort of like, I mean, it's a writing problem, right? It's like, be a real good guy, a real bad guy or girl, of course. And it's kind of like, uh, the real world is always and always will be and always has been 7,000 times more complicated than it's ever going to be presented in an RPG or, or an RPG of this nature, right? It, it's it's not like you have an option that's like, I'm going to take you to court and we're going to have a court case and we're going to discuss the relative merits of your character and your sad backstory and also we're going to uh, consider your crimes, the severity of such and the situations of your crimes and we're, we're going to then send you to a, you know, humane 
correctional facility where you're going to get a good education and you're going to uh, sort of learn good job skills. And then you're going to be a rehabil- you know, rehabilitated individual who is then left out uh, into a, a just world where you can get a fair shake if you work hard. Like, <laughs> the thing I just described is the actual, maybe the closest thing to a quote-unquote right thing to do yep. that there is. But that's never, that's never going to happen in a, in a, well, okay. I say that's never going to happen in a video game. Somebody will make that game one day, and I salute them. It's probably never going to happen in a AAA game about being well, a space that's badass. Be clunky who, ass you know. writing, too. Like, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah. you have killed, you have killed for money. Over 25 innocent people. But here's what we're going to do. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're going to go. The state is going to hold you in custody. Not, not to punish you, but just for the safety of society. And we're going to give yes. you a lot of therapy. And we're going to teach yes. you a so lot of job Therapy, skills. job yeah. training. And yes. You oh, will, yeah. You, you are going to... <laughs> Uh, you, you are going to retain all your dignity, uh, and yes, and you will have clothing and healthy food yeah. and shelter, and you will not be able to be violent. Your violent tendencies will be there's going to be no place and, for them. And, 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 and like, somehow just- <laughs> we figured out a way to square this with the families of the victims, the people you killed. Like they're cool with this too. Like we've all bought into this, and they don't yes. deserve anything for what you did to them. Uh, and so when you get out of here, well, they get your wages once you uh, once you repay them with all those job skills that you now have as like I don't know a transcriptionist for the global journalism service that yeah. also does all all sorts of just and wise things. They're just gonna get all your yeah. money and forever. Then you, and then That's you go back work. to your yeah. cover shooter. It's like well, glad, yeah, right? glad we had this <laughs> chat. And then it's like dudes <laughs> swarm into the room, like take cover. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. You know, game. It's it's just silly. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be silly. Like it it doesn't represent the real world in any way. So it's going to be this like really maudlin, you know, kind of stuff for sure. You no know, game handles this really well. Oh, I think I know what you're oh, gonna yeah. say, and it starts with it a does. W. It does. <laughs> anyway, the watcher. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's true, though, and it's okay to say it. They do a good job because they, they, they write around these situations. They understand that the world is a complex and dark and well, shitty place with a lot Witcher of shitty things. The Witcher series actively so. mocks you for trying to think that you can change the world. Like That, too. Like one yeah. of the lessons of that game is that like justice is something that you can maybe create in a very small circle around you, but like the world's fucked. And the best yep. you can do is try to minimize harm uh, as you travel through it. Yes. Yes. We got our Witcher. There we go. <laughs> we got our Witcher weekend now. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, our next letter comes uh, from Jacob in Sweden, but living in San Francisco. Uh, Jacob writes, long time, first time, etc. I'm glad to hear you guys talk about or at least mention so many things I really like recently. Odin's fear, the three-body problem, the Americans, and of course, Bojack Horseman, which might very well be one of the best shows on TV. 
One of the reasons BoJack works so well, I believe, is because of the stark contrast between the darkness and the comedy. The fact that it operates in a fundamentally silly world of anthropomorphic animals and animal puns, and of course, beloved character actress Margot Martindale, allows the drama to go so much more, it, it allows it to get so much darker than it would have been if it were set in a more, quote, realistic setting, which would make some of the darker moments of the series almost unbearable. Do you guys know of any other entertainment that similarly uses the power of contrasting themes or settings to allow it to take things further than it otherwise could? Thanks for a great podcast, Jacob. Well, I guess it's really an episode of Idle Weekend now because I'm going to say Farscape, <laughs> um, which, you know, I I try not to talk about too much because I love it so much, but we talked about it last time. And so, you know, it's, it's a sci-fi series. It's from the late 90s to early 2000s. And it was very quirky and very goofy and very colorful, but it also got so, so dark, so dark. And I think that same thing is in play. I think the tonal shifts uh, that sort of allowed Farscape to be so funny and goofy and, you know, just fun and, and light in some ways also allowed it to be to just say things about sort of the human condition and human nature and what it's like to be a prisoner or what it's like to be abused and, and, and things of that nature. I'll give you an example. There's an episode called Crackers Don't Matter. It's in the second season. And it goes to some horrifically, horrifically dark places. But it's also one of the goofiest episodes in the whole series. You know, there's images in that episode of uh, Scorpius, who is like this sort of like vi super, vi you know, the, oh, the, right, one right, of the main right. villains of the show. He's in a Hawaiian shirt. He, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's in a Hawaiian shirt, but like he's he's in like BDSM late, you know, latex suit. That's what he wears all the time because he's a weird biological sort of critter. <laughs> and uh, he has this like, you know, pale face and this craggy face, but he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and he's got margaritas and he's going around telling John Crichton he's in shoot John's her. head telling him to do things. And then we'll have pizza like, shoot and people do margarita shoot and rape them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like it's this incredibly dark thing wrapped up in this incredibly goofy, funny, cartoonish package. And yeah, I think it allows it to to go further on either side of that divide. And I think it makes it a better show. And it's, so I would agree. Yeah, sometimes it's all about, and I think it actually tends to work the most going in that direction of darkness in comedy. Like, I think yeah. a lot of my favorite things are comedies that secretly, like, quietly aren't that funny at all. Um, or yeah. or the thing underlying the comedy is is not that funny. Farscape's a perfect example because there's so many times when it's really wrestling with really profound things and you're not even aware of how serious or how, how high the stakes are. Because it's all done with the sort of wink and a nod toward like sci-fi tropes, uh, yeah. but it never loses sight of the humanity of its of its characters. I think it does something else that's very important, which is like, um, like the show can be very camp, and John Crichton is oh, very yes. fourth wall breaking <laughs> and is very aware, like he's kind of stepped into a classic sci-fi uh, show, uh, but at the same time for these characters, it's all still real. Um, there is this scene later in the series where John Crichton is basically wrestling with the option to go home, like go back to earth. Yes. Um, and you know, that door only opens one way. Like he goes back to earth. He leaves his, his life in space, you know, behind basically all these people. And he's trying to imagine, uh, 
his his love interest, Aaron Sun, uh, his partner yeah. in the series, uh, living on Earth with him. And there is the scene where he's imagining uh, Aaron Sun, uh, played by Claudia Black, having lunch with his father. <sighs> and he's just he's like he's just listening from like behind a pillar or something. He's overhearing them as she sort of opens up to his dad about the fact she doesn't really want to be here that there's no there's there's nothing you know there's nothing on earth for her you know all she can do is be be a housewife all she can do is just be a normal average woman and she's not that and doesn't want to be that yeah. and it's killing the both and it's this it's this haunting moment um and it's 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 this it's but it's it's all done in the context of imagining all these wacky characters returning to Earth with John. Uh, it's a <laughs> yeah, and there there's there's a point also like he he earlier imagines her trying to buy a wedding dress or something, and she <laughs> she like mispronounces charge yeah. card or or something funny. She says search it instead of charge it, and like wants to kill this woman, this you know goofy sort of like shopkeeping woman and she's like nothing fits nothing fits for him in his life yeah. and it's it's and again it's let's, just beautiful i mean and then there's an entire episode that's a meditation on when you and your friends turn on each other and <laughs> whether or not like payback is a healthy drive at all or not uh and it's all done in the context of a roadrunner cartoon um yes. so dargo is Wiley Coyote. It's, oh, it's, it's amazing. So, you should all watch that so, show. It's so freaking good. So, <laughs> and I've heard, I've heard, I've heard Bojack gets freaking insane uh, in this latest season. Oh, it does. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah. Okay, so are there games that do stuff like this? Um, Psychonauts does. And I was going to say Tim. Sh- I was going to. I was going to say Tim Schafer. Yeah. I was going to say uh, Grim Fandango. <laughs> Tim Schafer does. Tim Schafer actually does do yes. this. Yeah, he does. Yeah, there's this. Real. I mean, the Psychonauts. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, you, so you, I was going to say there's the scene in the morgue in Grim Fandango mm. where you're talking to Embryo, the uh, the mortician, and it's a funny visual because he's doing an autopsy on two characters that are basically turned into beds of roses. But he starts talking about the difference in symbolism between the land of the dead and, uh, you know, the land of the living and what a flower means in those two contexts and how the flower in the land of the dead represents something infinitely sad, a, a sort of death within death. Um, you know, there's a, that is a final ending to a, to a soul story. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of offhanded, but it's, but it's there, right? There's characters having these thoughts and sort of meditating on meaning within this world. Um, and I think toward the end of the game, it's kind of revealed that, like, for all his charm, like, Manny's not a funny character. He's not a really a happy character. Uh, you know, at the very end of the game, someone asks him, you know, what, what happened to you to make you this way? And Manny just sort of, like, looks at the guy and says, I died. And it's it's just this, it's it's this sort of brutal moment um, that you know this is a character that you know to an extent has not really gotten over um, you know his own mortality and and the fact that he's ended up here. Um, so yeah, that's my Tim Schafer uh, call out. What about you? 
Yeah. Now, I was just going to say, you know, Psychonauts feels very much in that way. The way that, you know, most of the worlds are pretty wacky and goofy, but there's there's always those sort of hidden memories within them that are that talk about somebody's like really serious pain. And, and the fact that it's a metaphor, you know, in a 3D platformer that like there's there's a hidden memory in there somewhere and you, you literally sort of traverse the world and go through obstacles to kind of find it. And it's like, oh, something horrible happened to this person. They're hiding that away and they're sort of manifesting these other things in their life. Uh, that's that's actually pretty pretty beautiful and deep, you know, without stopping being a wacky, cartoony, goofy game where you, you know, you, you go inside people's brains and they're all sort of bizarre <laughs> montages of, of stuff going on. You know, there's a disco world. There's a world inside of Lungfish's brain that is Lungfishopolis. Like, it's, it's, it never stops being goofy and cartoonish, but it's, it's totally, it's, you know. There's something there as well. There's there's dark I, I stuff hidden there. The as well. example, like you know, par excellence of 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 this, I think is is maybe like Catch Twenty Two, um, which yeah, yes is a hilarious book. But it is a book that the more I read it, um, the less funny I find it. You know, it is it is it is a profoundly yeah. sad uh, book. It is it is a haunting book, and, and part of that is like you know a little context about me and my family. Um, so I'm named Robert. My father's named Robert. Uh, my father's named for, uh, for his uncle, uh, who was an airman in world war two. Um, and mm. he had the bad luck to join, uh, just a little bit later. And so by the time he was flying missions, um, you know, you, you didn't get rotated home until you'd flown 50 missions. Mm. Uh, oh, the start of the war was 25. Um, and by the end, they were, I think, pushing to 50 or 60. Uh, but anyway, um, so the thing is, uh, so my great uncle um, <laughs> actually made it to Mission 48. And I, so I think it was like March or April, and I want to say it was April of 1945, uh, that his flight was attacked by uh, those, the new German jets, the ME-262s. And they were firing rockets, mm. and they hit his plane, and he went down and disappeared uh, and was killed. And a month later, he was, you know, the war was over. Like, literally, like, you know, he was, oh he was two God. missions from being done, but, but also the war was about to end. Um, you know, I mean, it just, it, like, the, the combat mission didn't even need to be flown at that point. By April 1945, who really gave a shit? Uh, it, was, it was inevitable what was about to happen. Uh, and the really heartbreaking thing is... Um, you know, so the news gets back to my, my grandmother and her family, uh, you know, at a time when they're actually expecting to get a telegram that says something like, I'm done, I'm out. I'm coming, coming back. Home. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. instead they get that. Um, but the other, so years later, um, my grandmother finally let me see his, uh, see his letters. And I was reading them. And uh, the the part that really jumped out at me was like a, a lot of soldiers' letters home are kind of masters of de- like masterpieces of deflection, uh, and his were no different. Like <laughs> sure. I, I'm not sure like how many cases of soldiers writing home, uh, both due to censorship, but also the fact you don't want your, to scare the shit out of your family. Uh, I don't know how often those letters get very real, uh, or at least if they got real back then. 
but there is just one offhanded remark he made during during one of those letters, which is um, they were talking about another kid from the neighborhood, uh, Tinley Park in Chicago, uh, another kid from the neighborhood who'd actually just come home from serving his obligation in the Air Force, from serving his uh, his missions. Uh, he was home after, uh, I think, 25 or 35 missions. And mm. my great uncle just wrote sort of a, yeah, ha, it's, it's great that he's back. Uh, it's wonderful to hear that he completed his, uh, completed his tour. Uh, I guess when I complete that many missions, I'll only be half done, huh? Uh, but anyway, doesn't oh. bear thinking about something like that. Oh, uh, man. But it was just like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. this guy knew the odds, like the odds were getting stacked against him. Uh, that, you know, when, when, you know, when he, when he joined, when he, when he first thought about this, like they were doing 25 missions and out. And, uh, you know, by the end, they were just kind of keeping these air crews flying, um, until the war was over, until they were shot down. Uh, and so that's, that's how, how it broke for him. So, I mean, the, so the thing is like when I recast 22, uh, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of hysterical absurdity in that book, but, the, the terrifying thing about that book is the degree to which it's actually a pretty accurate portrait of kind of life in, you know, in the strategic bombing campaign uh, over Germany <laughs> and Italy and uh, the, the sort of mindsets that, that led to it. And it's, it's, it's funny until you think about, like, how much truth uh, there is to it and how the warped, twisted logic that you, you, you encounter in Catch-22 you know, actually drove a lot of decisions, a lot of decisions and cost a lot of people, uh, their lives and, and hurt a lot of families. Uh, so, I mean, it's, but I don't, but I think, uh, you know, a serious, like searing war novel of like, you know, about the, about the bombing campaign couldn't deliver that message effectively, but cash 22 yeah. charms you and seduces you. And then it guts you. Yeah. God. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Um, I I certainly can't top that. Let's uh <laughs> let's move right into our weekend projects. Rob, um is there anything you're reading or watching that's uh, extra special right uh, now for you? Give me give me a second. Let me come back to me in just a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can go. Um I have recently discovered a series, a sci-fi series. You may have actually... Have you talked about Killjoys Didn't I mention Killjoys to you? I thought I, I did, did, but here's the thing. I haven't seen it because this yeah. they're not doing reruns. <laughs> so I, I heard about it too late. Uh, and if I want to catch the start, I'm going to have to go like, buy it on Amazon. Buy it or, on Amazon. Or like, watch <laughs> it on like the sci-fi app or something, which is going to be commercial, oh, right. like, full of commercials and it's like some kind of animal. No, that's just not. Oh, like uncivilized. Yeah, I'm buying it on Amazon. I have been, I've been watching it. So I remember you mentioned it at one point and, you know, somebody else had also recommended it. And I was just like, all right, cool, cool. Uh, so Killjoy is, I mean, you know the premise. It's basically... Um, you know, it's sci-fi. It's a little bit Firefly. It's actually a little bit Farscape in certain ways without the Muppets. Uh, but tonally, a little bit. Reminds me a little bit of sort of early, early Farscape when it was a much smaller crew kind of thing. Uh, it is about uh, two people. Well, really three people, but, you know, whatever. In the pilot, uh, it becomes three. Uh, it's Aaron Ashmore, who's, you know, Iceman Bobby uh, from the sort of earlier X-Men movies from the earlier 2000s. And uh, Hannah... John Common, and they are sort of a, a, a tag team duo, 
And they're from the Rack, which is sort of like a, uh, it's requisitions. They're the only folks in this sci-fi universe who are like not beholden to the, the corporate interest that basically controls the universe. So, you know, the galaxy is, is, uh, not the galaxy, whatever. A, a large part of space has been inhabited by humans. And of course, there's a corporation that rules basically everything. And of course, <clears throat> you know, uh, most working class folks are working stiffs and they have to work in mines or work in farms and, and that sort of thing. And the Rack is this sort of independent entity that uh, they're basically kind of half cops, half uh, bounty hunters kind of thing. And they, they get to go into wherever and uh, do a little bit of spycraft and get their man or get their woman, basically get their target. Uh, and there, and it's, there's this kind of wonderful interplay, interplay between these two characters, you know, uh, Dutch is the, is the lady and she's the, the ranking officer and uh, John, John Jacoby great sci-fi name is Aaron Ashmore. He's kind of the her uh, her subordinate and he does all the technical stuff. And then in the pilot, they sort of encounter his brother, who's this former soldier. So he kind of joins the rack too. So they're on this ship together and they're having adventures and they're sort of navigating this, uh, this very, uh, very sci-fi universe with tons of sci-fi tropes. But of course, they're also doing the little, uh, you know, oh, clearly this is really about, uh, you know, labor rights or... Uh, this is clearly about rebel armies fighting the good fight. Are there lots of planets and, you know, that look that eerily kind of like the Pacific Northwest? Oh, so oh, many. Crazy. You wouldn't even Those, believe man, it. Yeah, they look like Vancouver. I know. <laughs> it's very... I mean, this show has a budget of like $3. Like, there's no question. It is so... Like, it looks like early Farscape, and I don't mean that in terms of just sort of the tone. Like, it looks like oh, 1999. Man, Early Farscape. Man, the early Farscape like, was pretty rough, man. Like there, like there were some oh, pretty like undressed yeah. sound stages with like lemonade stands oh, basically yeah. set up, and it was like, oh, it's the busiest <laughs> commerce planet in the sector. And I'm like, uh, that's basically a hallway. It? <laughs> it's like that's like yeah. that's like oh, the saddest so... row of mall kiosks I've ever seen. Oh, it's it's oh, it's extreme in that in that degree, and it's like. And it's 2016, and this is a modern show. Like, I think the first season is from it's maybe not last year, maybe the year before. on the budgets with a lot of its shows. Yeah. What's going on here? The Expanse looks great. Like, it's probably not a high-budget show, but it looks good. Like, somebody learned, you know, somebody took an After Effects class <laughs> before they edited it, at least, <laughs> oh, you know? Man. Like, I'm, I'm being really mean. I really like Killjoys. That's why I'm endorsing it. I think it's very fun. It's it's very tropey. It is it is. A little bit campy. It is sci-fi for those of you who who like the Firefly, Farscape, kind of slightly Western, you know, and I mean Western, like you know, American Western, spaghetti Western kind of thing. Not Western, like you know, Western culture, not Occidental, <laughs> <laughs> but rather cowboy hat style Western. Um, it's really really fun, and I really like it. And of course, it has the. You know, it has the things that I'm always going to love. It has the, you know, the the kick-ass lady who's kind of in charge, uh, you know, Aaron's son type of character who, who she's also, um, you know, it's a woman of color and that's really cool and that makes me happy to see the woman of color, you know, not only, you know, sort of being in charge on the spaceship, but also like she's the badass who does a lot of fighting and all this other kind of stuff. And it's got the, you know, the cool gay bartender who, who's, who's awesome and like flirts with everybody and, and gives everybody free drinks. And like, it has all these things that I just love that it just make me feel happy that make me like, yeah, I want to watch more of this. But the only warning I will give is that, yes, it has a budget of like $3. I don't know if anybody took the After Effects class. Maybe they failed the <laughs> After Effects class. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. And the music is so 
<laughs> like I'm, I made this joke when I was watching it with with my girlfriend because um, she was just she's like, OK, honey. And she likes sci fi. She's into sci fi, but like maybe not as ride or die about it as I am for sure. And we're watching the first episode and the music is coming on and she's just kind of like rolling her eyes. She's giving me that look like, really? And I'm like, no, this is great. It's awesome. But that music, it sounds, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be mean, but like, it sounds like the DP's girlfriend had a band and like, they just put the music on every other scene. Like, it's very like, okay. Oh, man. Like, it, it maybe would have been better without all of, all of the music. But the I don't writing know, is so lyrics. shit hot. Oh, it's okay. so good. Yes. It's so fun. It's so much fun. And and you you do, at least I do, I very much care about these characters, even though it's it's oh, it's it's you know, it's archetypes yeah. for sure. It's goofy sci-fi for sure. But like you care about these people. They care about each other. They talk about like what yeah. they need to talk about in terms of their feelings and and getting things right and 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 sort of being a good little family on their spaceship together. Like it, it has that heart that that something like Farscape or Firefly had. Like it has that heart of like these people give a shit about each other and they're gonna do their damn best and they're gonna have their adventures and I really love it. So that's Killjoys on Sci-Fi and it's on uh, Amazon and I'm very sorry to whatever band I just insulted. Okay. Uh, so as far as uh, things I'm into right now, um, I actually just went to uh, the LA County Museum of Art, uh, LACMA, Ooh. and they have a very cool exhibit uh, called Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro at Home with Monsters. Ooh. And oh, it is very cool. Yeah, it's basically a gallery of his, like, largely comprised of like his private collection of, uh, like, it's not even movie paraphernalia. It's like his collection of stuff that matters to him and sort of has informed his vision. And uh, you know, if, you, if you're his uh, cabinet of curiosity, yeah. And so a lot of it is is sort of <laughs> like, um, you know, just. Horror imagery, um, you know, just anything that's sort of disquieting, uh, but also stuff that's sort of fantastical and suggestive of um, like other worlds, uh, just, you know, experiments in perspective. Um, and then, you know, props from other movies, costumes, uh, things like that. But, but all of it sort of adding up to sort of like what uh, has, has sort of informed his his cinematic vision and, and his aesthetic. Uh, which, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, depending on how you feel about Guillermo del Toro, uh, may or may not have value to you. To me, it does. Like, I, I think the, the yeah. thing that unites most of his movies is that they are um, powerfully evocative. Uh, I, I think, you know, Pan's Labyrinth is, is a, a absolute genius. Uh, but, I, but I would even say uh, Hellboy is an underrated masterpiece. Like, I would, I would put yes. it up against just about any, any of the recent Marvel movies. Um. Yeah. It's, Definitely. It's, it's. I put it above them, actually. Yeah, above most of them, certainly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, it's a really, really well done exhibit. Like this is like one of the great things about LACMA is like when they do a special exhibition, they're usually pretty first rate. Uh, and so this nice. is really cool because you just sort of you you go in to this gallery, and it's all kind of dressed up to. It doesn't even feel that much like a museum. It's very eclectic. It, it's just sort of like oh, nice. because they're sort of trying to evoke uh, Del Toro's own living space, where apparently, like, he lives in LA in this house with like a bunch of this shit just around him all the time. Um, yeah. 
There's actually a <clears throat> like a coffee table book I got for for Christmas one year that's just called Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, and it is like a a tour of yeah. his house of all this stuff. And it sounds like this is like they decided to put it on you know in an exhibit yeah, of it, which is amazing. And right, really and then cool. on the walls yeah. they have like uh, cuts of his different films and sort of showing like tying the the theme of the room you're in to his work as a filmmaker. Um, oh, it's but so cool. it's just, but yeah. it's also just, and it, like, it's extraordinary. Like, you're just going through a gallery, looking at a lot of awesome, kind of unrelated shit. Um, yeah, you know, just really <laughs> incredible, like kinetic sculpture type stuff. Um, huge guns from Hellboy. Uh, you know, if you remember <laughs> Hellboy's revolver with like the the rounds that were the size of like shotgun shells. Uh, you know, that's oh, that's yeah, there. Yeah. Um. A lot of creepy insect art, uh, some some uh, some Edward Gorey, uh, and then like there was this hall of um, like old Disney concept art, and I think this is the thing that really stuck with me. Um, it's crazy how talented <laughs> those old Disney animators and artists were. Uh, but the other thing that's crazy is how freaking dark their visions kind of were compared to what eventually came out. The concept art for Fantasia <laughs> is fucking terrifying. Like, the concept oh, art for Fantasia is, like, just this gothic, gargoyle-ish, like, like <laughs> it, it looks intense. Like, you can't, like, try to imagine the mouse in the middle of those scenes. It can't be done. Uh, it's just, it's just oh, freaking God. creepy. Um it's really crazy to think like this is kind of, these were kind of the visions that these uh, artists were were sort of using to build. Now I think the only movie where those visions actually come through, and that's why it, it sort of scared the hell out of me as a kid, was Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> um, mm, oh yeah, and there's a lot of for sure. uh, Ivan Durrell's concept art uh, for that stuff. And my God, like Ivan Durrell's yeah. just such a master of like contrast and line. It's it's crazy just how. Uh, striking his uh, his work is, uh, as well as Kay Nielsen's. Um, just some incredible concept work around like Sleeping Beauty. Uh, that's that's very much about like sort of the the, the poisonous menace uh, that sort of lies underneath a lot of fantasy worlds. Uh, but then there's also like framed prints of. Um, do you remember those uh, books, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, uh, from when you were a kid? Oh yes. Uh, there's framed prints of all the. <laughs> jacked up artwork that was in those books uh, with those creepy like decaying lines and characters looking like they were you know almost melting into the page uh, yeah it's just, the melting oh, people yeah it's yeah. so creepy oh, but man. so good um, so it was just it was an incredible experience and it was really really fun to be surrounded by uh, that much exciting stuff and and seeing how it can sort of inform a an artistic vision uh, so highly recommended if you're if you're in the LA area. Um, you have to get you have to get your tickets a little bit early because uh, they tend to sell out in the afternoon, uh, you know, and then mm. sold out for the rest of the day. But it's 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 well worth a trip, and it takes it takes about a good hour or so to get through the exhibit. And when I was done, I was kind of ready to go back in uh, and think about it more. Like really, what <laughs> nice. I wish I'd done is what I would love to do is actually sort of watch a bunch of uh, Del Toro movies and then go back yeah. and uh, sort of read you know, the films into those rooms, but it was, it was really cool and, uh, is, is, is well worth seeing if you're in the area. 
I should go to IndieCade as an excuse to go to this. <laughs> I think that's that's what that's what's happening. Yeah, I, I, God, I love that stuff. I always get really inspired, and I want to, you know, go out and and make things, and you know, it's just I love that stuff. It's, oh, it's so good, so so good. Okay, I think with that, it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. If you are enjoying the show and you're having fun, you're liking having us in your ears, please do consider taking a moment and rating us on iTunes or telling a friend, telling a colleague, telling a pet, whoever might listen to the show. Uh, It means so, so much to us. Uh, It's kind of how we get uh, word out about the show, and we really, really appreciate it, as well as appreciate your fantastic letters. We seriously get the best letters out of any gaming podcast in, you know, the known universe, probably out of most podcasts. So really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much, folks. You can learn more about the show at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends. That was really good. It was good times. Oh, it was really good.